When we started the church uh, a number of years back, um, do I need this for recording? Yes. When we started the church a number of years back, it was actually nicknamed Redeemer Beard because a number of the male leaders all had beards and the only rebel who didn't was Richard Kirk. And one of the best things that's happened in lockdown is he has a beard of wisdom, which is just a beautiful thing to behold. And the anointing's increased on you. You're leading in a different place, I'm telling you, because of that. And, you know, because you're a lovely man of the Lord, but actually it's all in the beard, as we've been trying to tell people for a long time. The other little update, just to give you, and some of you will know this, who uh, follow me on various social media platforms. I, I put something on Twitter um, three, four weeks ago, which, says, which said something like, um, I think one day we'll look back through the ordinance of our lives and realise that we are walking through wonders and signs and miracles without knowing it. Because stuff happens around us, but when your head's down, you, you don't see it, because you, you're grafting. Um, and I think, you know, you'll look back in this season and the things that are to follow, and you'll, and you'll perceive that in the years to come. You will also know that, <laughs> that subsequent to me posting that, some of you will know that there's a very contentious issue in town, just to give you a heads up on this, many of you know, around um, a community centre that was built by Acorn Christian Ministries some years ago called Homebrook Valley Family Centre and Church. It's actually a community centre and church and nursery and occasional flat in existing covenants. I know this very, very well because I've been reading a lot of legal documents lately. And, and they, they were going to, it was passed to another Christian charity, good people, but it was going to be turned into a frozen food shop. There was a lot of community objection, I'm not going to go into the details of that, some of which was uh, from people in this church. And there are many people in this church uh, who used to worship at Homebrook Valley Family Centre and church building, um, in, including people who came to Christ, actually, in that. Um, they, they were quite adamant to commercialise it, but by hook and by crook and by little intervention of the Lord, um, Edge Ministries are buying it. And we, we've, we've raised all the cash to buy it as well in five days, which, which was just, in fact, it was one phone call. <laughs> I tried to make three, but it's basically one particular phone call. And, and it's just the, the grace of God, really. Now, I just ask your prayers for that uh, with my Edge Ministries hat on, because we, we're really focused on reaching the poorest communities in the UK and increasing a little bit of contact overseas. Um, and, and it's... It's a beautiful facility for a community that's one of the poorest in the UK. Home always literally um, in the bottom 3% or top 3% or whatever way you want to look at it, of poverty in the UK. And we, we want, really want to use that uh, facility to bless the community and the Christian community in the town. There's a lot to do, a lot to do. And we're very busy on all sorts of fronts. I mean, I'm even opening up facilities in Cheddar at the moment and all... And, you know, a hole and all sorts of, I mean, literally all over the country. So it's another project. Um, and it's a very serious one because we want to put all of our, our main work in Chesterfield, uh, in, particularly in the uh, ex-pit communities and stuff. So could I just ask you to pray into that? Because property transactions are extremely fragile. We've got a brilliant working relationship with the charity that's selling it to us. We've got good favour on the ground with the local community. Not with everyone, but, you know, that's the, that's the way of it. So we're just trying to be gracious and really holding it in faith. That, that we hope 
for your prayers to get the keys by 30th of September. So um, please, please pray for that. Um, so that's that. Now, moving on to uh, today's teaching. Um, a couple of years ago, um, Karen and I um, managed to blag a tour of, of the inner sanctums at the Houses of Parliament because we've got a couple of mates who are important people. Um, uh, so they think in, 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 in the House of Commons. <laughs> so we blagged this free tour into secret bits where we could go and look at stuff that no one else gets to look at, which is really interesting, actually. It was fascinating. Um, and, and as part of it, as we went outside, this bloke who was wearing a bow tie, the only few people have ever seen wear a bow tie in years, literally really flamboyant guy in a bow tie, he started crying. And he started to tell the story of how when one of the terrorist attacks happened in the Houses of Commons, the police gunned down a gunman in the grounds. And, 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 and I thought he was crying because of the stress that moment. He said, I was watching it out the window. I watched the police gun this gunman down and save all those lives. And he said, then the most extraordinary thing happened. He said, the police that were being shot at and then shot him ran over and tried desperately to save his life. And he was weeping as he told this story. And he said, he said there's something, isn't there? He said, about about love and about the human condition where we'd even try to save someone who just tried to kill us. And it really sort of triggered my imagination. Thought, wow, that is actually quite a thing. You try and save the life of a person that you just tried to kill who's trying to kill you. Because actually it wasn't a military action, it was just trying to defend people. And these aren't, you know, instinctively violent people. It leads us, if you keep that in the back of your mind, to this classic story, which if you have a Bible is in Luke, uh, the version we're in, Luke 10, and we're going to take it from verse 25. Now, I'm going to take you through a little bit of background to this, and then we're going to get through it in relatively uh, uh, short shrift, because uh, it's horrible sitting here in masks, but we do want to uncover what the Word's got to say to us. The other thing I'd say is, as I always say when I preach in these contexts, there are people in this room who are relatively new to the Christian faith, or exploring the Christian faith, and there are people in this room who've been Christians for 30 million years. And somehow, we've got to try and embrace all of that. So we go wide enough to help everyone, but deep enough to learn some new stuff for those who've been reading the Bible for a very long time. In a session like this, we can't cover everything. So the idea is that I put enough bombs in your brain and enough trigger points and bullet points so that you feel inspired to go and read it for yourself and let the gospel guide you in how you are to behave this weekend going forward as we seek to become more like Christ. Um, so that's the plan. Now, this is a classic story, and for those of you that are fascinated by these things, actually it's quite a contentious passage. On plain reading, it's quite simple, but there are lots of smart people throughout history, like Oregon, who was um, a very famous philosopher, an ascetic Christian in the early traditions, in the, about, uh, just in pretty much AD 100-ish plus, so within range of Christ walking on the earth, who said that this story was allegorical. It was just trying to teach something using different characters, i.e. the priests represent the law and the Levites represent the prophets and Jericho represents the world and it's, it's actually kind of like trying to teach us something beyond the plain reading. Do you remember ever doing Shakespeare at school? Did any of you do Shakespeare at school? It used to do me nothing because there'd be things like 
Ear the shard shorn beetle with its drowsy hum, the bat with its cloistered flight. And I'd think, oh, that just means the beetle is noisy and the bat has a weird flight. And the teacher goes, oh, no, 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 no. This represents very deep truths about nature and, and the world and politics. And I'm like, no, it's not. It just means that beetles are noisy. There is a way that you can read things that's complicated and a way that you can read things that's simple. Calvin wasn't impressed by Oregon. And he said that the wounded man, as you read the story in a bit, represents Adam after the fall. And the rescuer represents Christ. And he, he objected to all the allegorical teachings of this passage. This is how I approach it. I think the Bible should be, as far as possible, accessible to everybody. So that when you read it, the plain reading of Scripture is actually what it means. That's it. So I, some teaching, when you look at this, or you compare what I do today on YouTube, you're going to think, that's a bit simple, BG. But actually, I think that's how it should be read. So before we read it, this is the cast list, the players in the story. The first one, the first major cast member, is the Samaritan. Now, it's important that you know that the Samaritans and the Jews actually detested each other. The Jews called Samaritans half-breeds and dogs. They were properly angry about it because the, the, the uh, Samaritans had desecrated the Jewish temple on the Passover. And they thought they had a superior claim to being God followers. I'm not going to go into all the details of that. I encourage you to look it up on Wikipedia because it's all there and highly accurate. The other thing uh, was that the Jews had destroyed the Samaritans' place of worship. So they destroyed each other's places of worship and had claims to following God that they felt deeper than everyone else. So they actually detested each other. And the Samaritans lived in an area that we now know as the West Bank, for those of you that are into this kind of stuff. So it's quite interesting politically too, but there was a bitter, bitter hatred between them. Though interestingly, Jesus in the Bible, although he wasn't welcomed in Samaria, for the most part, not always, but for the most part, speaks well of Samaritans. And interestingly, told stories too that highlighted the Samaritan as a good person. Like in the story in Luke where Jesus heals 10 people, it's only the Samaritan that goes back. And he's saying this for a reason, because our instinct is not to hang out with or like people who are different to us. That's the first cast member, the Samaritan. The next one is the priest, which for me clearly represents a holy person. Um, priests would take vows like not touching dead bodies and all that kind of stuff, but obviously representing religion and holiness and living life properly, like a normal vicar who has a dog collar. The Levite were judges and worshippers and teachers, so they were the respectable people in, the, in this story. So you've got the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, and the setting was in a road which was known in that time as the Way of Blood. So it's actually a known place where bandits would hang out, and it was very, very dangerous. In fact, Martin Luther King wrote about it after a little visit to that area. And it was known as a twisting, dangerous road that went up from the heights of Jerusalem and went down into Jericho very, very quickly. Started above sea level, ends very low below sea level, and is actually known as a very, very dangerous place. So here's the thing. If you were in the ancient Middle East and you're listening to the Lord telling his story, he's doing it in such a way that you hang on his every word. Oh, 
It's a, it's a dog, a half-breed, a Samaritan. Oh, it's that dangerous place. I don't, I don't want to be found there on my own. Oh, there's oh, a priest. Oh, he's walking past. So actually what he's doing is building little nuggets in this story so that you don't forget it. And that's important to note because when we're reading it now, we, we don't really uh, know what's going on in that time. So just to give a little bit of context. So let's read it. This is Luke 10, verse 25. And as usual, people are trying to catch the Lord out. A lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? Just to say, that has become one of my preferred methods these days to helping people work things out for themselves. And I really mean it. For 28 years now, people have come to me and said, what do you think about creation and evolution? What do you think about gender? What do you think about politics? What do you think about the Gulf War? What I do now is I say, well, what do you think's written down? Let the gospel guide you. And what if I disagree with you? Well, that's all right. We're all grown-ups. We can work it out together, can't we? That's my preferred way these days of discipling people rather than trying to explain everything through. Let me give you some verses and work it out. And I've learned that. From the best person to learn it from, the Lord. So he had it smashed, didn't he? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. You can just imagine, can't you? They're all listening, going, oh, he's passed by on the other side. Oh. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. And came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Which actually went the extra mile too. And on the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him and whatever more you spend when I return I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy towards him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Very, very simple, except easier said than done. The phrase, he had compassion, apparently occurs, and I couldn't find any more, three times in Luke And both times that happens, it's used to speak of the actions of both God and Jesus. 
he had compassion. It, the actual phrase is very, very specific. And I think what this is trying to say, and it'd be more obvious if obviously in that setting, reading in the original language and seeing it as it is, with that specific phrase, I think very simply what this is telling us is that to love your bitter enemy is to be like Christ. And not just to love your bitter enemy is to be like Christ, but actually you become an agent of the kingdom. To, to love people that are properly not just doing your head in, but have really hurt you, even caused you injury, taken stuff from you, beat you, could be emotionally, could be physically. I know this is really hard because some people have been physically and emotionally damaged by people who are super close and to in relationships, and workplaces. And I'm not saying this out of empty rhetoric and I'm not going into any detail this morning, but I'm not saying this in a place of just speculation. Now, over the years and in recent times, Karen and I have had to navigate extreme agony and pain and not, not stuff in church settings, I mean, in our family lives. And, and to actually overcome that and to love people who cause damage is, is not an easy thing. So I'm, I'm not saying this from theory. And I want you to know that. that the, these passages on the plainest reading are simply extremely tough. But, as ever, with God's help, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can come through. You can. And I honestly think that maybe even a year ago, two years ago, I don't think I'd have been able to preach this message with any sense of authenticity. But what I do know is this. You can have all the trappings of being a godly person. You can outwardly look really godly and not actually be an agent of Christ and live truly for the kingdom. You can give uh, monetary. You can be at every prayer meeting, including in council on Saturday, which I missed. You can be at that. You, you can be a worshipper with your hands in the air like a windmill. You can be on every rotor sacrificially. You can help with the kids' work. You can be a greeter like Laurie was today, splendidly on the door. You can read your Bible and do your UCB notes. You can have your all-worship app on in the background at home. Listen to CDs of your song and all of that. You can subscribe to podcasts. And fill your car up on long journeys with awesome teaching. You can pray walk. You can put godly posts on Twitter and Facebook and create all the appearances of being a, a Levite or a priest, actually. Being a really godly person and be nothing more than the priest and the Levite in the story. And that's just a fact of it. But God knows our hearts and he knows how we really live in. For me, the person who has the heart of Christ and is an agent of the kingdom and lives like Christ and has Christ and the power of his spirit flowing through him actually loves their enemies. Blesses those who persecutes them. Opens their home up to people who are not like them. The Romans 12 stuff, which you might finish with. And, and perhaps there's something else, just to say this before we go into some practical details. I do think the plain reading here is, for those at the time, we need to remember that the Jews were very oppressed people under occupation, being beaten. And they might be listening to that, thinking, well, that's, you know, I just got duffed up by a Roman soldier the other day, or whatever. And actually, help came from a very unexpected place. And I, I just as I was preparing, I, I think 
we need to remember that sometimes, that the way the kingdom works is that often help comes from very unexpected places. And if you keep your heart soft, you'll be able to receive it. And the, the weirdest thing is, I, as I was sitting musing on this at my kitchen table, I remembered something which I don't think I've ever shared, even with Karen. When I was a little kid, I used to go to Ardley Green Junior School in Hornchurch, in the edge of the East End of London, London Borough Havering. And, you know, there was a good school. Uh, kids were kids, as they are. But it was, a little bit, it was a little bit scrappy at times. Do you remember conquer fights when you used to, like, do a conquer and everyone would just, you'd fall on the floor and everyone would just steam you and do your conquering. It was horrible, wasn't it? But it was like a merciless playground like that. And there was one kid who was absolutely horrible to me. And there used to be this game where you'd have a, there was a big school wall and we used to have a tennis ball, and we always used to throw the tennis ball and then someone would try and catch it. We'd spend hours playing this simple game. They'd go, allow one bounce, have two bounces, no bounces. You'd just throw your tennis ball, hours and hours playing this game. And this kid, he always picked on me, trying to kick me ball out of the way, get in the way, push me over. And then this extraordinary thing happened, and because I'm nearly 50, and this was over 40 years ago, I can't remember how this happened. But this must have been around about the, either the end of infants or beginning of juniors. And he became my best mate. And, and I can't remember the specifics around it, but I think, and I'm trying to rake my brains, it was a conquer fight. I dropped all my conquers, and everyone came to steamroll it. And for some reason, he must have had some momentary lapse of reason and felt very compassionate and rescued my conquers for me. And the next day, we stood there throwing a tennis ball, and that went all the way through school. Help came from an unexpected place. Now, of course, we're just little kids, but it properly flashed back. Isn't it amazing how things in your childhood can affect you, can't they? All the way through your life. It's interesting, that. But help for the Jews here, I think, came from an unexpected place. And maybe this is the Lord's little cheeky way of saying, you watch. You watch. Help is going to come to you from an unexpected place in an unexpected way. It's going to be the cross and the resurrection. But who knows? So here goes. What does it mean to actually love your enemy? And I've just got some very, very simple points. Um, I think we're in an extraordinary age at the moment of over-communication and over-sharing. <laughs> I really do. I mean, I'm trying to wrestle this at the moment. I, a part of me wants to have an old flip phone now and get off social media and just give a few people my flip phone number. Do you know what I mean? And just, uh, you know, uh, where's Beachy? I don't know, he's somewhere in Staveley. How do we find him? Get him on the flip. That's what I, you know. Where's he on phone? No, you just have to find him on the flip phone. He's, he's in some cafe somewhere having a pork pie. I think that's, I'm, I'm fed up with the over-communication. And what, one of the things that injures my faith, I think, um, and, and causes me personally some angst, is the way Christians treat each other publicly um, and, and make enemies where we didn't need to and say things we didn't need to say and escalate things in unhelpful ways and, and play out all the details of their lives you know, often very unhelpfully and I'm not digging anyone here because nothing's particularly in my head this is just talking generally what does it mean to love your enemies? well let's talk about social media speak kindly speak well of people even people that you don't like. I, I mean, I, I, I think take things offline and, and go face to face with an attitude of every situation I'm involved in is winnable. 
and every situation is redeemable and God doesn't actually think anyone is, is beyond redemption. So if I'm an agent of the kingdom, then that's how I should be too. I think we should be the examples of loving each other. Now, does that mean we can't critique? No, I'm not saying that. Does it mean so we can't objectively call things out? No, 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 no. I think there's a difference between corporate action and our individual response. And you see that in Scripture. Now, Jesus said, love your enemies, go the extra mile. If someone takes your shirt, you know, giving you a cloak also, blah, blah, you know, turn the other cheek. But then also in the Bible, it says the authorities have the right to wield the sword and don't wield it in vain and etc. There's, there's, there's corporate structural things that sometimes need to happen, but then there's our individual lives, and we have to make that distinction. I'm talking about in our individual relationships with people, I think it beholds us to be seen to be the most gracious, gentle, peaceable, kindly people on the face of the earth. But so often we're not, and you'll know my uh, a story I told you, which I'll briefly recap, when I was in Pizza Express many, many years ago, when I was exhibiting a, a Christian resources exhibition, which I actually really hate and never been back to since, because they always used to put me near the Christian sock stand and a, and a bell stand, which brought out the worst in me. But I was eating in Pizza Express, uh, opposite the exhibition centre. The waiter came over to me, to cut a very long story short, because some of you have heard me say it before, and said, there's a lot of Christians in here tonight, mate. <laughs> Obviously, we didn't look like Christians. And I said, oh, how do you know? And he said, well, they, they, they don't tip. They order tap water because it's cheap and we get more complaints than any other time. He said, what do you want? I went, large beer, large pizza, we leave you a healthy tip. What are you doing? Here? Oh, nothing, just passing by. <laughs> I thought, oh, is that it? Is that what we're known for? Being the most miserable people who don't tip and order tap water because it's cheap. Is that us? The most miserable people on the face of the planet. Now, I know this isn't specifically loving your enemies, but actually I think love and kindness to those who antagonise you most starts in the smallest places, in the way you conduct your lives in the everyday. Um, uh, because we're not recorded, which is good, I will tell you about a little neighbourly dispute that's happening down on our road where we live. Not in great detail, because it's a telephone wife, but there is a little dispute where people have spent thousands of pounds, thousands of pounds, over a bit of curb, six inches big, probably about 10 grand of legal fees, where someone's bought a little bit of extra land and one of the neighbours is disputing it because they want the curb. And one plan has got a thick red line and one plan's got a thin red line. And they spent 10 grand on it. Do you know what a Christian does? A follower of Jesus an agent of the kingdom says, oh, I'll give you that curb. No problem. It's a bit of curb. It's a bit of garden. My dad, he's a lovely fella, but he's ex-flying squad and he's a bit brutal. You know, if the neighbour cut the hedges in the wrong way, he'd, 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 like, he'd chop their tree down. You know, I mean, he's proper full on. Chuck things over the, I mean, proper chuck things over the edge, chuck the clippings back. And I remember one time, I'm not caricaturing here a whole race of people, but there is a classic Germans and the sunbeds, isn't there, when you go to Crete? Back in the day, maybe it doesn't happen now, but I remember one time we went down to the swimming pool at 8 o'clock when we were on holiday as a family, and it literally was the Germans had put towels over all the sunbeds, and my dad went around and just chucked. 
them all in the swimming pool. <laughs> Literally. And then just sat on one of the deck chairs and no one dared ever challenge him. She was like that. It's a bit where I got all this attitude from over the years. It's a bit of a chip off the old block, unfortunately. Except that I don't chuck people's swimming towels in the swimming pool. I don't, because I'm a follower of Jesus. How would a Christian respond? Well, let the gospel guide you. So there's social media. There's our neighbours. A bit of garden. There's when people are doing your head in. That email that you get. But you, 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 you really want to ping that reply back. Anyone ever had one of them? I had one last week. And you really want to nail it. I think a kingdom person is able to take a deep breath, put themselves in the corner, and sort their heads out. I told a story to you many years ago, which some of you weren't present for, so we'll tell you this briefly again. I crashed my car about eight years ago. We had a GT86 sports car we were using for some CVM filming. I crashed it at five miles an hour near our house. Um, rolled into the back of a young woman who had a, a Vauxhall Nova worth about 200 quid. My, uh, you know, built like a tank, big rubber bumper. My sports car went underneath a rubber bumper, folded up like a pterodactyl. And, um, and her car was all scratched up anyway, and I got out in the rain, actually. We had our torches on it. Said, I'm sorry. She said, our car's only worth a couple of hundred quid. No problem. She said, yours ain't no, is it? <laughs> so I went, Ugh. So I went home to Canada and went, crashed the car again. And it was all right. It's all under insurance. Anyway, about a week later, I think Karen might remember this. It's when we lived in our other house. I got this text through, so it swapped numbers. She said, I'd had my car professionally examined. There's about £700 worth of damage. But if you give me £100 cash today, we'll think no more about it. Me and Karen were born in Dagenham. Like, we know a scam when we see one. I know this purse. I'm like, the car's worth 200 quid. I'm all like this, angry. They want 100 quid cash. It's ridiculous. I mean, I, I, there's no damage on the car. The damage is on my car. I can't remember what Karen said to me, but it's something like a Karen version of put yourself in a corner and give yourself a talking to. <laughs> sort your head out. <laughs> Live what you preach. Because annoyingly, I preach it and Karen actually lives it. It's really annoying. So I did put myself in the corner and I came up with a genius kingdom idea. I'd write them a cheque for 150 quid. And at the time... My checkbook, I'm not anymore, but my checkbook for many years said Reverend Carl Beach. And I drove around there and I presented the cheque folded up. And I said, I again I apologise. Her car was parked outside looking fine. I said, I apologise for causing such damage to your car. <laughs> um, I put a little bit of extra on because I just want to bless you. She went, bless me. And I went, yeah, I want to bless you. And she opened it up and she saw it as 150 quid from the Reverend Carl Beach. And at that moment, I wanted to say, and if you steal from a man of God, you could be struck down and killed. Because <laughs> the anointing of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I also thought, she won't cash it because she'll be so overcome by the love, grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, she paid it in that afternoon because it cleared like three days later. But I thought, well, actually, not only is that 
the command to us to bless those who are persecuting, loving your enemy and all that stuff. Actually, it's worth it. Because what if, years later, she bumps into a Christian again and they offer, like some of them are came, invited her to an Alpha course. And I'd used the gift that God's given me of words and force of personality and destroyed her and told her off and tore a strip off her. Do you think, oh, I met a Christian once and he was a pig. He's a dog. Or now, I liken it that I put a, a stone in her shoe, a gospel stone in her shoe. And if she bumps into Christian, she'd be like, I met a Christian once, he was mad. Putting it, I tried to steal off him and he put, he put another 50 quid on. So maybe there's something I need to investigate. The reason, some of you heard me tell that story before, the reason I'm telling you again is guess where she lives? Right by her Homebrook Valley Family Centre. And who knows? What if I'd done her legs all those years ago and fought back and she's still living there? And then I'll buy the centre and start talking about all these beautiful things they're going to do. But actually I was a pig, a half-breed and a dog in her eyes. But now she's like, oh, you're that nutter. Gave me 50 quid and I've seen this time and time and time again where those filled with the Spirit of the Lord love their enemies. From the, the two opposing terrorists in Belfast who are now on the Men's Breakfast Planning Committee to... You know, the people sitting together in churches where they once weren't friends but now cross the room and break bread together to the families that have been reconciled. I remember this beautiful family at Bidwicky Baptist Church and I was senior pastor there who had enmity for 14 years and they all gradually came to Christ through the prayers of the matriarch in the family actually and were all reconciled and all worshipped together in the church and then uh, she died. But so their journey goes on. And of course, what's the example? The example is that why we are still enemies of Christ and still ignoring him, and still not living for him, he died for us. Still got nailed to a cross. Yes, you can, Suzanne. And it was near Cardiff. Yeah. Well, you're someone who you know the love of Christ, right? Over the last few years, it's been utterly transformational for you since you came to Jesus. So you try and live that out. Well, we all need to remember that. The longer you've been going on with Christ, the easier it is to forget just how much grace you've been shown. Yeah, I mean, but also, just to say, it's also grace to each other in a, in a Christian church because a lot of people come into churches and they think, oh, it's amazing, it's amazing. Then they go to their first church members meeting. And they think, what's this? It's this horrible thing that's happening. And it destroys people's faith. Loving your enemies actually... You know, we've got to be Samaritans to not just people out there, but the people in here. Because when we bring people into the kingdom, we need them to see something that's extraordinary and beautiful and full of Jesus and full of sacrifice and resurrection and hope, don't we?
So it's actually such a beautiful and powerful story, but it starts, it starts here, and it starts in our individual lives, and it, and, it, and it carries on out there. Someone cuts you up, nips into the parking space you didn't have, and when someone really hurts you, just to finish with that, because that's how I started, when someone's really hurt you, it could be bad. Oh, it's hurt someone you love. You, you, you must process that. And it leads into a whole other subject, I know, but what I would say is we've got to put ourselves on our knees and get the help we need sometimes and the intervention we need. I, I get all that. But, but actually, we, we need to be loving the most unlovable, even when it's up close and personal. And, and, and helping also those who have been wounded by others. Even if, you know, we can't help the robbers who beat the person up, we help the person who's on the floor, even when we didn't love them. Just like my mate in school helped me when he spent all that time despising me for some reason. Let's stand together, shall we? And we'll, we'll ask Holy Spirit to help us. So, Father, we pray, help us to love those we don't instinctively love. Reach out to those uh, we, we struggle with. Help us to pick people off the floor and go the extra mile who are not like us. Uh, people that through fear or whatever we, we find it hard to interact with. And, and help us to reach out to the robbers in the story too. The ones who do the damage. Fill us with your spirit and fill us with your peace and fill us with your grace. Help us to be the Samaritan. In Jesus' name. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, this week we pray. Amen.